Welcome to FileMaker Talk. This is Matt Navarre. And Matt Petrowski talking about FileMaker Pro. Twelve. 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 <laughs> twelve. Twelve. Yeah. It's out. Woohoo. Nice. Yes, and we had been working with it a little bit uh, beforehand. Actually, come on, let's be honest. Well, they showed it at DevCon last year. Yes. And so a lot of us were sworn to secrecy, but, you know, that's what, 1,200 people have actually seen it. I wasn't on the really early ETS. I wish I was, but I know some people were on that and had been playing with it for many months. I've been playing with it for a couple of months and really generally loving it. Before we get into 12, though, let's do quick It's Not Filemakers. Oh, really? You're going to make people wait? Everybody's salivating. Come on, tell me what's in 12. Yeah, but the It's Not FileMaker thing that I've got is really cool, so you can skip yours if you want, but I got a Lytro <laughs> camera, L-Y-T-R-O dot com. All right, I'm going to look it up it's while the, you talk about it. It is the first new thing in cameras since cameras were invented. Wait, is this that box, that 3D thing? It's not 3D. It's kind of weird. Um, Multiple focuses? Yes, kind okay, of. Okay, so I've seen that. Yeah, yeah I've yeah. heard of that. There's been some talk in the news and stuff, but basically you shoot first and focus later. It, it gets, it captures every different focal plane in a scene, and then later on when you look at the image online, you just click the the point in the picture that's you want to look at, and it refocuses the the picture for that scene of that part of the right yeah. it's uh, it's kind of a clunky camera it's kind of heavy it's really long it doesn't have any kind of manual controls and it's fairly low resolution it's like 1080 by 1080p so it's like 1 megapixel or something but the images are huge they're 30 40 50 megs or something per picture well, it, yeah, how many different focal planes do they have when you take an image? I mean, I'm looking on their website, and they've got this one of this squirrel. I mean, hello, the depth of each curve of his whisker all the yep. way to his face, to the back of his ears, to the back of the tree behind him. That's like thousands. Yeah, well, it's like, I don't know what the actual thing is, but it's kind of like having, say, 64 or whatever, good binary number, photos per photo. Each one at a different... So what's cool about it is if you, if you frame a photo interestingly... Oh, yeah, by the way, it's also square aspect ratio. It's not 4 by 3 or 16 by 9. It's 1 to 1, <laughs> which is odd. That's what's taken off on the, on the iPhones and everything. Instagram and yes. it's always square cropped. Yeah, it's kind of true. It's kind of like the Apple Quick Take 100, you know, it, it, comparatively to, like, features and capabilities and limitations and... It's really just about one thing. I don't know if you go back that time, but like the very one of the very first, and of course there was a lot of people who had digital cameras before that, but the very first digital cameras were clunky, low resolution, really grainy, had very small storage, and the only thing that set them apart was that they were digital and you could take a picture and look at it right away. Oh yeah, the screen on the back is kind of really bad. It's like a about the size of a current generation iPod Nano screen. And so <laughs> when you take a photo, you can actually reframe it right away on the back of the camera. It doesn't have any wireless. It doesn't have any movie capability. It just takes stills. It's kind of a stunt camera. But for the one thing that it does, it does really, really cool. And it allows a whole new type of photography where you can frame several different things going on in a story in one still picture. By having foreground and background stuff, which would be totally lost with a traditional camera. By having story elements in different, different depths of field in your picture. 
so that when a person views it, they can actually re, you know, tell the story to themselves by clicking on different depths. I think that's fun. I think it's going to be really important. Yeah, I'm clicking on the pictures here as you're talking, and it's it's pretty cool. I wonder. I mean, definitely, I bet you there the there will be a player and a technology on the uh, iPad for sure. Yeah, at the moment, all the photos that you save with Elytro software are Flash. Remember Flash, that yeah. Adobe technology from the 1990s? Yeah. <laughs> well, you can't play Flash on the iPad, so at the moment, there's no iPad or iPhone app, and there's no way to view them on an iPod or an iPhone, <laughs> iPad, um, only on the computer with a Flash player, which I think is kind of funny that they would have made that mistake uh, in 2012. Uh, they just they they'll make an app. It'll, I know they will. It'll come. So do you have an it's not FileMaker before we dive into T12? It's not FileMaker. No, because my it's not FileMaker would probably be whatever recent memory is, and I just got back from DrupalCon <laughs> in Denver, and that was oh, a, yeah. that was a week. So uh, it's not FileMaker. I mean, unless you're excited about what you can do with Drupal, I learned about a. Uh, <laughs> an API that connects a native uh, iPhone app to a Drupal website, which was cool. But uh, That's cool. Yeah, only if you're uh, really into uh, Drupal and stuff. Which, by the way, you know, if anybody is wanting to run a CMS and stuff, the funny thing is Drupal feels like it has a lot of similar things as FileMaker in terms of the way that it uh, does stuff. It allows you to create these things called content types, and it generalizes on its field type, well, not its field type, but its um, content object, which is just simply called a node. And so you specify a node according to classifications, which a node, I guess, would be a table, and then within that table you were to classify a different table. But uh, what makes it similar is you simply just go in and you can just add these different types of fields, just like you do with FileMaker. You don't have to be specific. You don't have to be like a DBA and specify you know, all the different uh, variations of different types of number fields like you do when you're setting up a MySQL database. Nothing super exciting, but it's there. It's, what's interesting is the Drupal universe and the FileMaker universe are kind of similar. They're both 1%-ish of the market, have a really loyal following. Really, There's certain types of problems that are really perfectly solved with one technology or the other. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. It's... um. It's, I mean, it's, there's so many things out there. WordPress, it's all a matter of what's going to get you to where you want to go. And I think a, a lot of people worry about, um, I'm not a big fan of it myself, but the whole concept of scaling. Does it scale? Do I need it to scale? And they, people want things to scale because they're worried about the future. But most of the time, most anything that you set up, you're going to know when you need to scale. You're going to you're going to feel it and when you feel it, start to feel it, you're going to be able to make your transition then and start to uh, make something happen. Sure. Plus there's a side benefit of like if you're not able to handle demand, sometimes that actually ups the value of your brand or your products like, "Whoa, everybody wants this." You just have to address it relatively quickly and not let it go to the wayside. Yeah, the lesson of watching how Google has dealt with demand has been amazing. I think that's maybe their biggest success is how they have built for scale. And that yeah, no the only joke. thing they've done is gotten faster with searches. And that you, you don't maybe remember this, but when Google first came out, a search took a second or two. <laughs> 
And you I, thought that was okay. And now the sex searches are so fast that it's, you don't even. Yep. Super, super fast. So let's first talk about FileMaker Server. FileMaker if, Server. FileMaker Server 12 has one really, really cool feature called progressive backups. So let's say you have a database that's five gigabytes, uh, not huge really by any, but and fairly common, pretty big size. That on a typical FileMaker server might take minutes to back up, you know, five, ten, depending upon the speed of your disk. If you've got a, if your server has a super fast RAID 10 setup, or it might be really fast, but if it's kind of an ordinary server with uh, RAID 1 or, and not super fast drives, and there's a lot of users on it, it might take, 20 minutes or even longer to back up something like that through ordinary backup. And during that time, users are really feeling the pinch. So it's doing a block copy? Well, that's what the new progressive backup does. It does a block copy, sort of a snapshot, and it happens in a second. Or, you know, an amount of time that's so small that users don't experience that the backup happened. Oh, cool. And then in the background, it takes that file and... Um, uh, well, actually, I should say, when you if you need to restore a backup, then unlike a normal FileMaker server backup where it's a file copy, it has to rebuild from that sector copy or that bit copy of the file. It has to sort of recreate a, an ordinary file from that progressive backup. So you'd use the two things together. You'd have a every night you'd have a regular backup, and then during the day on maybe every fifteen minutes or something like that, you'd have a progressive backup. Pretty cool. Nice. That's... Another really big feature of 12 is enhanced container fields in the server. So it's kind of, to some degree, going right after... Um, 360 works. Right after 360 works. You have super container. So it has a lot of the features of super container, not all of them. Um, every time FileMaker comes out and it replaces some vendor's solution, they really only ever do it sort of to the... 80% of that, what that vendor does. Um, so it's, it's going to definitely affect uh, 360 works in some ways, but it's also going to say, hey, if you need to go way beyond what these new features can do, then now they're validating what 360 works, uh, what Supercontainer does. And so I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to have an impact, but it's going to give them maybe more high-end clients too on one hand. Right. So uh, here's something that I did. It's something. It's a little trick that I do whenever a new version of uh, FileMaker comes out. Yeah. Are you familiar with the diff command? Uh, like FM diff or just yeah, diffing in general. Oh yeah, yeah. Like on the command line, there's a there's a tool called diff, which is primarily used to find out the differences between two different text files. Mm -hmm. But it can also work across folders. So usually, what I do is I just go, uh, I open up a previous version, and then I open up a newer version. <laughs> go to the FileMaker help section, and then I just run a diff on the folders to see what files are newly added, and also which files are different within the help. So it sort of gives you a little bit of a sense. And um, also, if you notice, when you look at the help on both the functions and the scripts, there is a little section within the HTML that says originated in. And then it actually ha it says the name of the version. So on the command line, you can go into the HTML folder within the actual FileMaker application, which you can right-click and you know choose show, show content. If it's yeah. on Mac. Yeah. Yeah, show content. So um, I go in and I just grep for everything that says originated in, and then I just put FileMaker 12. So on my desktop, I have ripped out from FileMaker's help all new functions and all new script triggers and all new script steps. 
tricky. if you wanted to if you wanted to go through those. And I do. <laughs> uh, it just gives us a, it gives but, us an easy way to cover. Um, I mean, most that's usually what I'm interested in is what is the new functionality? What is going to impact how I used to do things and how I'm going to do things? And I've got there's um, 26 items. So this would be a, a little bit of a longer podcast, even if it took us a minute or so on each. But, of course, some of them uh, apply to one specific feature, which, you, one, you've already mentioned. The first um, functions that are listed here that are new are um, get height, get thumbnail, get width, and verify container. And those all deal with, like you were saying, the um, the thumbnail uh, container aspect or the storage of containers that allows you to specify uh, the storage for the containers somewhere else. There's also a, um, a script step that relates to that, which, let me find that one, um, open manage containers. So if you're familiar with the... Uh, Open manage accounts or security, open manage database, open right. manage everything else. This is an area where you can manage where the containers of where images are going to be targeted in order to go to, and then a thumbnail is generated into that container, and you're able to use these uh, get functions. Yep, so the manage to... menu has one new item in it now, which is containers. Yeah. So all the other ones are still there custom functions, custom menus, data sources. Exactly. And then so you, the, can, you, know, base, you can set different base directories of things, which could be on a different server than your web than your FileMaker server, I think, right? But sure, I, as, long, as long as it's accessible. But I think the, the kind of the point is that you set it up on the FileMaker server itself, and so the FileMaker server knows where these locations are. And then any application that's running on that server has access to those directories so that you can configure it in such a way that different solutions have secure locations on the server for images and binaries within those databases. I think that's the point. Yeah, looking at the dialogue, they're not. It doesn't look like they're support. They're supporting any type of um, within your local network, like remote type of connection strings, such as HTTP or anything else. They've got the same type of things that you see in the other uh, path dialogues: relative, full paths, and network paths. So the network paths they do support. It looks like, but it's gonna, you know, obviously it's gonna be need need to be relative to where the data is stored or within the local network, so that it's fast enough in order to get the full image if you need it. Yeah, well, the main benefit is not storing the image inside the FileMaker database itself, but having it be reliably available to users, um, no matter how those users connect by FileMaker client, FileMaker Go, whatever. Exactly. So moving on, here is another new function, get connection state. And that one's going to be a, uh, a numerical return value. We've got zero for no network, one for non-secured, two for secured, and three for secured connection with fully verified server name in the certificate. So essentially what they're doing is they're supporting um, SSL here with regards to connection to the FileMaker server and uh, being able to poll whether that's actually the case in terms of the type of the connection that's actually being used. Yeah, because right now if you have a, if you, there's a checkbox on FileMaker server that secures the connection, but the client can't tell if it's on or off. Correct. So you'd be able to, and I'm presuming this is, uh, you know, this is coming about because of some of the other functions that we're going to see that are based on um, iPads and the whole mobile going crazy thing. Mm-hmm. All right, we've got uh, get installed FM plugins. 
which allows you to get a list of the installed plugins. And you've got uh, the enabled state is going to be re uh, what's returned is enabled, disabled, or ignored. Cool. So you can see if it's, yeah, which ones are actually on. That's nice. Now that partners with, let me scroll down here to um, the script steps. We have a new script step under the miscellaneous category, and it is install plugin file uh, from a container. That is killer. So one of the really big things, I think, is the ability. I guess there's been, well, you deal with this in, in uh, Theme Studio, right? You, you have the ability to load a plugin, to install a plugin, and turn it on when the user opens the file, right? Correct. I, I determine whether or not uh, one exists, and if it doesn't, uh, then I install it. And I'm doing all kinds of other uh, shell stuff using mm -hmm. 360 Works, calling to the shell, pulling the directory, and then pushing out of a container to temp space, and then moving it. And it looks like these two things, install plugin file and that function, are going to allow you to more or less do that. Now, I'm wondering whether that's something because auto-update is just way too confusing, or people aren't adopting it, or they aren't using it. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, it, it actually does say that the uh, under the uh, information here, it says uh, the compatibility that runtime solutions are supported. So is it, it also says instant web publishing, custom web publishing, FileMaker server scheduled script, and FileMaker Pro, but not on FileMaker Go. So that means if you've got a server-side plugin, I wonder if this will actually work. No, I don't imagine it could possibly work for a server-side plugin. That still has to be done on the server itself. But if you have a server-side plugin, I think of instant web publishing solution can take advantage of that plugin, right? I'm not so sure about that. I know that server-side scripts can, and I know that FileMaker Go cannot because it has to be running locally on the client, and it's not running on the client. Yeah, I have no idea. I haven't used uh, I haven't used instant web publishing a whole lot myself. Yeah, so. and there's no changes at all in instant web publishing. Yeah, uh, in in twelve, except actually one thing which is kind of a limitation so one of the big new features is big with a lowercase b <laughs> is css in in 12 it uses um, so you can apply styles to layouts but there's quite a few caveats around that it's still a pretty cool feature and i think all the things under the hood uh, separate from that that are related to it are great but if you apply one of the new styles to a layout that layout won't render in instant web publishing which I think is interesting. Although it will in the future, in all likelihood. In all likelihood, yes. But who, but for now, in 12, you have to actually revert to the basic style, and then you get all the tools that we have currently in 11 to, to, to pretty it up. But what's cool in 12 is the CSS thing. If you've got a layout, you can choose from some really nice-looking styles. <clears throat> you've got all these, you've got a whole bunch of new features in the layout. To me, this is one of the really, really big areas is... Um, Selecting objects, working with objects, you have guides that you can drag out, kind of like Photoshop or, or Quark Express, to align things. So if you want to use a grid or a um, you know columnar format, you can you can put that in your layout really nice. You can have objects, and the layout parts themselves can have a image background. Objects can have rounded corners now, and you can choose the amount of radius. It's pretty much anything that's in the uh, CSS3 spec. And there's transparency, uh, alpha channels, and gradients on objects, all yep. of which are new. 
kills my my gradient maker unless you need image gradients the, the gradient feature that I have in the theme uh, studio yeah it kind of does but I'm Which wondering what other no changes you know what changes does this do this actually sort of validates theme studio in quite a few ways and I think this really shows that FileMaker databases can and should be beautiful, and now we've got these tools to make them beautiful without having to go to Photoshop and other things. And that beauty is just one component of design, and that Theme Studio now should be a bigger part of that. I think I'm hoping this is going to be a really good thing for you and for Theme Studio. Oh yeah, I mean the the for me it's the fact that they add gradients isn't uh, that big of a deal just because I designed a tool to solve and you know, scratch an itch. Mm -hmm. Most of what the theme studio is to me is it's a, uh, it's a storage database for storing your elements that you use for your database and getting access to new ones, which is the distribution model that I put in by it connecting to a server and then downloading the content. And, and it does things that FileMaker probably never will, you know, minor uh, icon combinations and fading them out and making them gray or whatever you want to do. So there's there's still a lot of uh, value in it. There's one in other. Fact, I prefer the gradients be native because it should make everything faster. Yes, I agree. One other big thing that I'm pretty excited about, uh, and I'm not sure if this is a lower, uppercase or lowercase b big, <laughs> is the ability to perform um, SQL select statements um, against FileMaker data without a plugin. Which You're Jumping all over my functions. Jumping your, over your functions. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> yes, that that is a that is a script step. No, that, it's a calculation. It, it was a script step before in oh, eleven. Let me look and, here. Uh, and it's yeah, a little confusing it's a because it's actually named the same. It's execute SQL. So the script step in eleven allows you to perform an SQL statement against a external database like ESS or um, some other. SQL database, right. but, but not against data in FileMaker. The function allows you to actually create a relationship on the fly or just query something within a table. And the table occurrence that you're trying to get might not even be related to the thing that you're looking at. It can be anywhere in the graph. It can be anywhere on the graph. It's, so it's pretty great. Um, so it's it's going to eliminate a, a good majority of utility relationships used for portal trickery. Yes. And you're going to see a lot more uh, portals that are just based on a global field, and that global field just gets populated with execute SQL by throwing in a bunch of key values, and boom, it's done. Yep, and because this is a function, you can use it for auto-enter, you can use it for all kinds of things. You know, you can calculated fields can use this rather than relationships to get their to get all kinds of things. So I think it could actually have a huge impact on on solutions, and it works in Go. So you can actually get you know SQL capability. So that means that we have some learning curve, right? Because now we all FileMaker developers now all pretty much kind of need to learn uh, some SQL. And at the moment, it's only the select statement, so you can't insert records, you can't delete records. Yeah, not unless you're using a plugin. Not unless you're using a plugin, which you've been able to do for years, and a lot of people have loved that. Yep, it's absolutely awesome. Yeah, they've adopted a couple other standards too. Um, UUID in particular, that's uh, uh, actually a new function. Yep. The uh, UUID, the ability to generate that. And previously, you had to use either a plugin or a shell script or Apple script or, or something function. else. Yeah, actually, I've been using Ray Culligan's custom function, which I love. Or yeah, those uh, 
the ones that do that. But and the, I, I mean, this is going to be because it's shorter, faster. Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure. I didn't do a speed test on it, but the the new built-in function it does make a really really long UUID, probably probably an RFC spec. Um, well, uh, what the reason that I mentioned that it'll probably be faster is. Um, the, one of the other new features is we've always had those, uh, you know, inserting the, the merge, um, not just merge variables, which mm-hmm. was supported in 11 now, uh, both global and even local if you want, but mm-hmm. uh, those merge uh, uh, values, you know, for the page and for whatever else. For oh, yeah, yeah. So you got like pound, pound for the page, slash, slash for the date. Right, and the at, at. Well, now you have access to a the bulk of the get functions as an on-screen merge variable, so you don't have to create cust- you don't have to create calculations anymore. So I threw the UUID, which is one of the available. It says insert other symbol, and in there UUID, one of the the new cust- the new function. So what happens is if you you're on a record and you drag out and in the window it's just like you know like a web viewer refreshes or updates or something updates when you drag it the UUID it just screams it just goes it just you know changes the number at every little uh, increment that the window is dragged open Yeah this is pretty cool so in the insert menu you get insert other symbol and you get a list of I don't know 100 or so things which is beautiful because it, it really yep. solves, uh, like one in particular that I'm looking forward to is um, uh, get portal row yeah. number. So you can put that right on the portal row. Then you can give that object, that text object, a name. You, of course, can make the text the same color as the background. And then you can use conditional formatting on that. You'll also be able to, uh, you know, It'll show the last row, so you would be able to get the, the, I don't know how it would work, but there are a lot of techniques that have, you know, used a lot of hackish workarounds. You're going to be able to refine those a little bit better now just because you have that available without having to create all of the extra fields or the unstored calcs, which makes your database cleaner. So, very nice. So, yeah, some of these are interesting. I can I can see some great utility for... One of them is get network protocol in case you're using what IPX <laughs> <laughs> or uh, that's that's an old one. It is an old one because every because TCP pretty much won that battle. But older versions of FileMaker actually could run on either IPX or remember that one? Yeah. Or um, or TCP/IP. I go back to token ring and <laughs> <laughs> I remember the local talk to Ethernet token ring. I, I actually installed Max on networks with token ring really really long time ago. Holy cow. IBM token ring cards, 4 megabit. So you've got all the windows. You've got the uh, username, system format, state, trigger keystroke, trigger modifies, NIC address. There's going to be all kinds of little techniques that will come out as a result of being able to throw these onto uh, directly on the layout without all the extra fields. Yeah, and you don't actually have to get them from the thing. You can just type them in with double curly brackets surrounding it. Yeah. Uh, bracket, bracket, not the curly. square, but, you know, bracket, bracket, record ID, bracket, bracket. Cur- would get yeah, you. curly braces, I think. Curly braces them. is the proper name for them. <laughs> I believe so. I think I think the square ones are brackets. Braces are the uh, yeah, that sounds swoopy right. ones. And you have parentheses. So here's a few more functions. Uh, get persistent ID. That's sort of like a MAC address, but it's not the MAC address, and it's something that they've got for uh, Go. 
which allows you to use two complementary functions, uh, location and location values, which are, uh, I believe, are only on Go. Yeah. Or re returned right. on FileMaker Go because they're using the uh, the geo stuff on the device. Yeah. The, the compass or whatever. What is that called? I forget. GPS. Yeah, that thing. Yeah, so it'll tell you exactly where you are. So, like, if you take a picture with the camera... In addition to having the location of the picture embedded with a photo, you can also get that as data and store it in the table. Right. Very. So cool. there's only one other one that uh, uh, not there's a, a, a few other functions. I think there's four now left. One of them I, I did. You know about the get window style? Nope. Well, we're gonna we either. Uh, this may either get cut or it may get left in there because I don't I haven't seen anything about this but under the functions under get functions there's one in there that returns from the help it says get window style and it says 0 if the window is a document window 1 if the window is a floating document window and 2 if the window is a dialog window now i'm wondering if that was something that was cut <laughs> um i don't know it's in the documentation I don't think it was cut. So either I I could not find anything about in the scripts with regards to being able to control the style of window with regards to um, floating document versus dialog window versus well, there's, document. There's Unless, one, yeah, there's a new feature where a window can be chosen to be a document mode or a dialog mode. And if it's a dialog mode, it's kind of like... Um, uh, what do you call it, uh, kiosk mode where it's unclosable, where there's no close box. So it, it pops up a new window, and if you have to process it and you can't put it in the background and you don't want to lock your script, but you, huh. you, you want to have the window be not closable, then there's a new command that allows that to happen, which is dialog mode. I did not know about that one. And so this allows you to tell the style of what it is. Nice. Do you have get trigger current tab panel and <laughs> those are the last two. We've got get go. UUID, which we talked about that one and the fact that you can do that. And but those are the last two: the get current tab trigger current tab panel and the get trigger target tab panel. In fact, when I was at uh, was I when I was at your house as a result of the FM train, and I was saying, "What is this? You know, extra script that they've got here? This on tab switch?" Right. And we were trying to determine what the difference was. Well, it's another one of those types of function uh, uh, features mm -hmm. where you have to use it in conjunction with a function. So it's sort of like you, you can't use get script result unless you're actually using a script. Um, you, the, you need to have the script generate the result in order to use the get script result. So in this case, you have to use, if you're going to use the on tab switch trigger, which is a new uh, script trigger, then you need to use the get trigger current tab panel and the get trigger target tab panel, which basically it returns two values. The first value, it's return uh, delimited. The first value is the index of the tab on the pane, and then also the name that was assigned to that particular tab, which unfortunately we still do not have calculated names for tab right, panels. Yeah. That would be nice. That would be. That's kind of one big difficulty if you're developing a multilingual app is... Buttons in dialog boxes and tab names can't be 
set by 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 function. Yeah. But slowly, slowly but surely, we are getting the, those types of requests where they're integrating into the um, into the calculation engine. Which uh, sometimes they do it in weird ways. Uh, for example, and what I mean by that is we have got the uh, new functionality of sort records by field. So we're into script steps now. So under the found sets script steps, we've got the sort records by field. So what it allows you to do is it allows you to specify a field as a reference field and then you're able to specify ascending, descending, or associated value list, same things that you mm -hmm. see in a, in a sort dialog box. But now you're going to be able to uh, target the field. Yep, which is nice. So like right now in most of my solutions, I have a big sort script, one script that does sorting for everything, and it has hundreds of sort commands because the sort command is hard-coded and tied to a specific field. This will allow us a generic sort command that puts it on a layer so I can specify a field that I'm sorting as a function, and then it can sort on that field, and there's a checkbox for ascending or descending. And you can just, yeah, all you really need is the ascending and descending, and now you're able to, even using a script parameter, pass that inbound to a script and then sort dynamically. Right. Probably works on a single field. If you want to sort on multiple fields, it's probably the way we do it now. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's, from what I can tell, it's only one field, not on multiple. Still, that, that covers me for 83% of the cases I use it for. Yep, it gives us something at least. So let's see what else we've got. Uh, talking about finding things, they've got a, a new script step, which is find matching records. So basically, uh, everything that I, that you have in the... Um, I, I relate this to being like a go-to related records where you have a, you know, you can go to the related records and it basically does a find of all of that particular key value, a subset. This is just using the find in order to do the exact same thing. Um, I wonder if that's the same as what you've had if you're in looking, at a, looking at a record and you right-click right -click. on like, the city... And you yeah. say show matching records, and it basically does a query to say, oh, yeah, these are all of them where the city equals Portland. Yes, it's, it's the context menu. You, I just guess now, I, you now have a script step. I didn't realize that wasn't a script step before. I, I have only used that sparingly, so. Oh, no, you always had to, uh, you always either had to use a go-to related record, or you had to build a custom script which would enter find mode, set field to whatever value you want, perform mm -hmm. find, then do whatever. This just knocks it down into one script step. Yeah, if it's a really, really simple thing. By the way, I, I always use enter find mode, set field, set field, perform find. I don't. I never actually use the perform find command itself and specify anything in there because it doesn't work as reliably as just having that be a generic perform find and having set fields before it. There's there's some specific cases that it's, that it's weird, but mostly... It's just much more discoverable and editable and um, serviceable for me to do programming by by put using set field. I don't think there's any performance difference either. Yep. Very and cool. I'll probably use that a lot less also since now we have execute SQL. <laughs> <laughs> 
So going back over to containers, here's we've got a few uh, that will clump together. We've got insert PDF, insert audio video, and this differs from insert image and insert file. So now we're, we've got uh, the support for these different uh, media types. Yeah, so they actually are going to behave differently on the layout. So you can actually, when you put the field on the layout, you can tell it whether it's static or dynamic content. So, you know, video, audio versus photograph. Pretty which cool. Is, which is really nice, which blends really well with the, uh, I would call this a a big B feature, yeah. the insert from URL script step. So basically anything that's anywhere on the Internet using a protocol that is supported, which is HTTP, HTTPS, FTP, FTPS, and other file protocols in order to insert from a URL. This means you can point to a URL. You can get the source of that URL, push it into a text field. You can um, point to an image and pull that image, JPEG, uh, ping, bitmap, TIFF, doesn't matter, Photoshop file, and pull that right into a container field, which is really pretty cool, being able to do that. You had to do that with a plugin previously, and now you have it native in FileMaker. Very cool. PDFs as well. Um, when it comes to uh, the final items that I have out of the things that I pulled, the functions and the scripts, uh, mostly we're looking at script triggers. Some of them were things that were already happening but they basically just expose them. Like if you were used to the debugger and when you opened a FileMaker solution, you would see that it would run a script named on window open. Well, now they're calling it on first window open and they have on last window close, which is your startup and your shutdown process. Mm -hmm. But they also have on window open and on window close, which is meaning while the solution is running. So you have these two additional script triggers that allow you that anytime a window is opened, you're going to be able to execute a script. Anytime a window is closed, you're going to be able to execute a uh, script. And then the last one out of the out of the new. Uh, so there were those four dealing with windows, and then the last one was the on-tab switch, which we covered as a result of the two new complementary functions. Yep. And that's, uh, though, that's the list of the functions, script triggers, and script steps, but it's definitely not everything that's new. We still have other stuff. You just ruined my joke. I was just going to say, that's it. That's every single new feature. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's definitely more. Oh, yeah, there's more. You know, one of the really big things is uh, speed. Uh, some, Like any new version, some things are going to be a little bit slower. But the WAN performance is greatly increased. And also some of the PHP web stuff that was pretty slow in the past is greatly increased, like 10x performance increases or more. Uh, I think the WAN performance is specifically targeted at FileMaker Go. Now, there's a new version of FileMaker Go as well that's going to be coming uh, presumably at the same time, but maybe maybe not. This is a file format change, and there's no going back. Once you convert to 12, you can't go back to 11. We should have mentioned that at the beginning. We should have mentioned that at the beginning. If you got the new version of FileMaker Go, it would actually have to work with both 11 and 12 files natively and not because it doesn't have the ability to convert them. 
Which so what's it going to be? FileMaker Go Two? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> well, we we will know since we're talking. Since we're recording this just a little bit just before, before it's released, <laughs> we don't know what the actual name of the the Go is. I would suspect it's just going to be called FileMaker Go, and it will just have a different icon, and that you'll be able to have both of them installed. One will open only eleven in previous, and one will open only twelve. And I think that might be good enough to for users not to be confused. Well, at least as of this, uh, uh, the release of this recording, we will already know. <laughs> right. But it's a surprise to us as of right now. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you shouldn't know all the answers. There should be definitely be stuff that surprises you. <laughs> I, well, also, view, I also don't know pricing. Updates? Web what viewer kind of, updates? Talk about yeah, what? Well, I uh, let's see. I opened it up here. We've got... Um, here are the things. Allow interaction that it used to exist. Display content and used to exist. Display progress bar did exist. Display status messages. Is that new? And then automatically encode URL is new, which is a checkbox. So, so they're uh, automatically encoding some URLs. And one of the, the, the big features, that I think they already had it on, uh, on Go, but they didn't have it on the desktop. But from the testing that I've done and people I've talked to, there's one limitation with it. And that is that the web viewer will support a callback to a script using the FMP7 script or whatever. If it's going to be FMP12, I don't know what the... what I haven't uh, actually played too much with it. But you're able to more or less trigger a script from within a web viewer, which is pretty nice. So basically you make a URL that is a FileMaker URL, so that when you click on it, you can um, call that script. And also, since the, since the URL is generated within the web viewer, anything that the web viewer can generate, including JavaScript manipulation and operations, can also pass parameters to uh, using that URL to the script that you call. Now, the limitation is that, uh, from what I understand, it won't work with a local file. So maybe that's either been fixed or is going to be fixed. It will work with a hosted file using uh, FileMaker Pro Desktop. So you connect the hosted file and the web viewer and you click and it'll work. But from the standpoint of uh, a local file, uh, it wasn't working as of the version I was working with. And the one that I was told by other people that it, they couldn't get it working either. Here's another thing we should have led with. Multiple undo. Oh, dude, that one, I, I just, out of accident, started hitting <laughs> Command-Z when I was working with the layouts, and just, psh, 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 everything went back. And I was like, oh, nice. Finally. <laughs> and the explicit layout width. So you can set a width to a layout. Like in 11 and before, layouts were always infinite width up to whatever. And so if you set a width to be only, say, 1024 wide or whatever... Anything that you put off to the right of it in layout mode is invisible when the user's in browse mode, but still functions as though it were on the layout, so you can put developer yes. fields. Love that. Yes. Love I, that. I was uh, chatting with someone the other day, and they're like, yeah, did you know that everything that's over there still works? I'm like, no. And sure enough, I was, it was like, wow, this is like you know a whole hidden area of developer-specific stuff, which is cool. And here's one thing I hit that if anybody comes across it, I I spent 15 minutes trying to figure this out. I couldn't figure it out. A layout 
by default will not scale until you have at least one object anchored to the side where it's going to scale, which is typically the over on the uh, right. I didn't know that. If you create a layout, and I couldn't figure out, I kept looking for a setting It's that was like scale layout, scale layout. I could not get the layout to scale beyond showing all the background images mm-hmm. and everything like that until I select on a, selected on an object and then anchored it. And as soon as I anchored it, then the whole layout scaled. <laughs> Nice. A, a somewhat odd decision sort of in sense. that you can't yeah, it makes sense, but you couldn't you can't find it. You're looking for something to control it, but there's nothing that you're going to be able to find. I, I, yeah, they didn't change anchoring yet. So it's still only anchored to center, left or right or bottom. Um left or right. I wish that there was a uh, you could set several fields and have them anchor kind of like they work on the web where they all progressively grow. Where you can yeah. say, I want this field to use 25% of the space, this one to use 25 and this one to use 50 and then they all grow as you change it. Yeah. Or even cooler, if you go to Apple's web page and you click on the search, if you, as soon as you click into the search widget, it on the fly changes width to say, oh, you're focused on this now. I'm going to make this wider. And all the buttons get smaller. That's, that's my dream. <laughs> <laughs> now we need to just go learn Objective-C. Yeah, Sure. <laughs> Well, that's actually just on Apple's webpage, so it's probably like a HTML5 or I'm not sure JavaScript. I don't know how they've accomplished that. Yeah, don't uh, don't know myself. So uh, have we covered most? We've got the themes. They use CSS, uh, CSS, CSS three specs. So you've got drop shadows, background images, rounded corners. All kinds of stuff. We've uh, got the layout with your multiple undos, your guides, the grid, things when you drag them, they pop and show you distances, sort of, you know, similar to you've seen and all kinds of other things. The ability to select an individual object and apply gradients. Um, you can take You can take off the theme style or you can reset whatever the default theme style is set for that layout. One thing with themes, though, you do have to set a theme. This is a caveat. You have to set a theme to each layout. So that's done by when you're in layout mode, there is a menu, or the layouts menu has an Mm -hmm. option that says change theme. There is no bulk application to all layouts. And another little thing that is sort of, it's going to be, for me, it's a slight annoyance. What happens is, my understanding is, they, as far as I know, they aren't actually rendering the CSS. This is purely a guess here, but they're using CSS as a definition for what, how and what is going to render within the layout. Mm-hmm. But then they may be doing something internally. Because what happens is, if you modify a theme, which I've definitely gone in and tried to do, and you put some changes in either one of the defaults, or you can create your own, which is really, really nice. They actually they have an, uh, an XML file called manifest.xml. You can actually specify your own groups uh, within the change themes. So you can create your own group and then create as many different themes as you want. Of course, this is something you have to go in and manually do. There is no builder. There's nothing that FileMaker provides, at least in this version. 
But once you apply it, it becomes integrated into the file, inclusive of images. So you can't make changes externally to the theme and then reapply that same theme. It just won't apply. Right. It's already been added into the file itself, into the layout. Yeah, and I so, guess I kind of see that because if you apply it, let's say you make a custom theme including images, and you apply it to a file and you give the file to, to somebody else, another developer. Um, the only access they have to themes is in their copy of FileMaker. And right. so they don't have that theme, so it has to store it in the file. Now, if they wanted to create a theme of their own in their copy of FileMaker and apply it to the layout, that would work, and it would overwrite all those settings. But what I wish for is the ability to actually edit the theme in the file itself. That would be... And have the, yeah. the changes be universal and global. Right, yeah, that too. It would be nice to say apply theme to all layouts, although I probably would never do that. <laughs> Most of how I'm going to design and use themes is in a little bit different way than uh, what FileMaker's done. In fact, one of the things that you, you go in and you look at some of the, the demo solutions, themes sound like they're this utopic, great solution. It would be nice to apply them universally across all of a solution. Well, typically, once you pick a particular design for a solution, you tend to stick with that design unless mm -hmm. you do through a, go through a major overhaul. You, that's just what you use. So I'll probably sure. use like the basic functionality. I won't do a whole lot of whiz-bang within the theme. I'll use it for some basic gradients, for uh, some background colors, for title footers, header, uh, headers, and all kinds of other things. Mm -hmm. But they basically... Um, they have got it set so that they are using um, you know, the headers and the footers on list views. I almost always design with just the, uh, the body and buttons they've only got one of. You, don't, you can't have multiple different buttons within a theme. Um, but they tweaked a lot of their themes to make them look good. Because if you open the, the starter solutions and you reapply the exact same thing, you'll see that it'll wipe out things and it'll make it look sort of more basic. Hmm. And so definitely you have to go in, you have to, once you've got the base theme, tweak that theme to make it look really good and look at, make it look snappy and the way that you want it to look. And then from that point, just duplicate the layout. I mean, that's, that's going to be my standard method of operation is I'm going to create a list view and a form view very much like I do with the Theme Studio. And then from that point forward, I'm just going to duplicate those layouts for the rest of the layouts in my solution. And that's what I've been doing all along anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what you do now. But I think a lot of people, maybe a lot of people listening to this podcast have heard, oh, FileMaker's going to have themes. They're thinking oh, cool, I'm going to be able to take this theme, tweak it, and if I want the button to look slightly different, I'll change the button, and then that will apply pervasively across my whole FileMaker solution. That's what I think when I think of the word theme internal to a solution, that you make that change and it gets applied all over the place. Not, oh, I have 100 layouts, and I would have to go into 100 layouts. I would have to reapply that theme, and then it's going to change all of my tweaks to any of the objects on that layout. I know. That's how it works in Theme Studio, right? In my copy of Theme Studio, I make a change to something, and in every database I've ever designed, it just automatically updates. <laughs> exactly. I wish it worked that way. 
<laughs> no, so I, I see that people need to be aware that that could be a, a frustrating point where their notion of themes is it's very much a base theme. It's a starter theme. You pick that, and from that point forward, you're really not going to be reapplying the FileMaker theme using the change theme because it will wipe out any tweaks that you've made to all of the objects on there. If you've, if there is a particular field, in fact, they did this in one of their solutions. You know the uh, on the iPhone how they've got all of the boxes are like 44 pixels high, but the top box and the bottom box have the rounded corners. Everything else in between is square corners. Yep. So that's what they did. In one of their themes, they smashed all the fields together so that they're edge on edge, and the theme itself has rounded corners for a field definition. And what they did is they selected all fields in between, and then they removed the theme settings for those for those fields, or they changed the corner radius to be none, so that it would look like the iPhone. That's where if you reapply the theme, what happens is it looks at all fields on the layout and then applies the rounded corners to all of them again. Tricky. So all of your tweaks are now gone. So something to be something to be aware of. Definitely loving all the coolness, all the tools. Very excited to see what's going to be <laughs> coming up next. Wow. I'm already yeah. looking forward to FileMaker 13. <laughs> and, yeah, they're probably and skipping what this they code do. 14 for, for luck reasons, you know. <laughs> so, like skipping but, the 13th row on an, on an airplane or the 13th floor in a building, which... <laughs> oh, man. I They've got a, a lot of good them. stuff in here. Yeah, there is, for sure. This is, And it's, it's hard... Because the features, like all the stuff we're talking about with themes, and I think there's going to be a huge amount of discussion on it. But to me, the important part is all the other beautiful things that they've made working with objects in the layout vastly better. That's the real thing to me. But, you know, yeah. the design surface. Um, Just the, the, the gradients alone. And, yeah, the gradients, uh, and the, the capabilities. for background images and the CSS, uh, like you're saying, the rounded corners and stuff. It's stencils. So you can have a stencil on your layout that says, this is the bounding area for an iPad, an iPhone, 1024 by 768, etc. And they're they're sort of like guides. And you can just turn them on and off by device. Love that. Those are going to be the things that are going to really make productivity uh, measurably increased for me when I'm working on layouts. Well, they've got a few other uh, little things. Uh, they've got like a checkbox in the main uh, in the sort dialog that uh, allows you to maintain, keep the records in the uh, sorted order. They've also got some checkboxes in the show custom dialog box, which uh, allows you to specify one of the three buttons. Which I wish they'd give us more—an unlimited, not an unlimited, but you know, allow us to go up to four or five if we needed. Of course, that's without too a many. dialog plug-in, yeah. Too many options, but they've got a commit checkbox that allows you to commit um, within that script step. Um, and they've changed a, a few other things about the the functionality of how the UI works. Um, My favorite con- thing they did is they deleted a feature. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> they, which they, one? They deleted the ability on the layout to apply a pattern. So you remember how those all those patterns <laughs> that they did right back to Mac Paint 1.0. Well, of course, they replaced it with gradients. Yes, they did. <laughs> and I've never, I haven't used them forever, except sometimes I use the grayscale one where every other pixel is on. But even that one I haven't used in a really long time. Hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, they actually deleted one tool flat out. In ScriptMaker, they have the, uh, 
uh, under the show compatibility, they've got all the different options now. It wasn't. It, well, it used to be just desktop and web publishing, wasn't it? Uh, no. Yeah, it didn't show more. Yeah. Well, now before, it's now you have iOS. So yeah, before it was iOS, custom web publishing, and instant web publishing. Yeah, there was three before. So there was instant server and desktop. Now they've added iOS and custom web publishing. Nice. I'm pretty sure. Wow. It's going to be great. We'll be talking much more about this. New new features, new functionality, all kinds of stuff. And we don't even know the implications of these things yet. We're just starting. I am uh, looking forward to designing some solutions, in particular some themes. I'm also interested to see what adoption is going to be like, in all honesty. Well, because there's a file format change, I'm betting that it's going to be a couple of months because you have to really test and deploy server, which means you you know, you know kind of have to plan for when you're going to be migrating server. And that's that's exactly sort of what I was referencing. Is, yeah. uh, you know, it, people don't just switch infrastructure on a dime. Yep. I can so, tell you that for some of the small databases I'm working on now that are that are not quite yet deployed, because we're all on maintenance, we can you know we're all going to get 12 licenses out of the gate. I'm going to deploy one FileMaker 12 server and deploy small solutions on it as soon as possible. To because uh, it's passed all my tests for reliability so far, so all the things I've converted have just worked beautifully. But I really want to get familiar with it and my users to get familiar with it right away. So that so that we know exactly what to expect when we uh, deploy the big solutions in a few months. Yeah, because I mean, otherwise refactoring is like, yeah, you know, that's huge. Yep, and I'm betting the FileMaker hosting companies are going to have a, some uh, twelve servers out of the gate as well. It might cost more because the requirements of the server are higher, so that it doesn't run on as low end of hardware as it ran on before. Mm. Not that people ever did, but now it requires it. Gotcha, gotcha. Oh yeah, just found something else. One more thing, and I'm, then we gotta go. I'm, I'm like quiet in the background here. Uh, <laughs> script, but script debugger's got a new little icon that uh, allows you to enable or disable script triggers within the process of debugging. How did I miss that? It doesn't mean that they're. <laughs> it doesn't mean that they won't execute when you don't have the debugger installed or when they're running. It's just for the debugger. It's sure. just for the purpose of uh, debugging. Nice. So. Data viewer looks exactly the same. Yeah. I was just going through all the different, uh, going through the different dialogues and looking at things and I saw that out of the corner of my eye. But, alright. FileMaker 12. FileMaker 12. Send us some feedback, matt at filemakertalk.com. And that'll get to us. Thanks. All right, see ya.